Hey everybody and welcome back to the Corner of Gray Street podcast. I'm Bruce and joining me this week is, well, the staple, Nolan. What up, dude? What's up, Bruce? You know, I'm not just joining you this week, I'm joining you every week. Thank goodness. That one week where I was by myself was brutal. I don't know how you do the editing every week, but everyone, if you're in your cars, if you're listening somewhere that's very quiet, round of applause for Nolan right now. Take your hands off the steering wheel. Actually, don't do that. Oh, stop. Round of applause. Nolan does such a great job editing every week, and it is absurd generally, but we're going to try to keep it very easy for him this week. And lucky for us, we have another great show to bring you. And um, it's a great show not only for this band, but um, for the at least at the time for the fans and for the prospects of another band, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, Nolan, won't you set up this show? Tell us wh- when it was, where it was, and um, we'll get right into this guy. The year was two thousand seven. It was August fourteenth, to be exact, and the band decided to do a one night stand at the fabled. Saratoga Performing Arts Center in Saratoga Springs, New York. Wow. One night stand. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder why. I don't know. They must just not like SPAC very much. Probably. Um, It's got to be it. We're going to have a couple of quotes in here from a buddy of mine that was actually at this show and at many of the SPAC shows, um, Brad. So thank you to Brad. Shout out. And um, he starts us off by saying... The summer 2007 tour for DMB saw unusual timing and routing, which included staple venue SPAC. Saratoga Springs only received one show this tour, on a Tuesday, in the middle of track season, and in the middle of classical programming portion of SPAC's season with the New York City Ballet and Philly Orchestra residencies. So, yeah, very, very odd. Tuesday, SPAC show? I'm Obviously, that's why they only did one, but... Wow, that is so random, and in August, to boot. That tour started pretty late um, in general. I remember when we went to, well, you went to Raleigh and Charlotte, and I went to Charlotte. That was in September once school had started back, so that was oh, yeah. uh, definitely different for DMB that summer. Yeah, I think it started like right at the beginning of August, August 1st or so, um, and I mean, yeah, pretty wild. That was That was weird. It was just kind of a weird tour anyways but um yeah we should just go ahead and get into this show which is pretty solid and starts off solidly with a tour debut of pantala into rapunzel love seeing that open a show it doesn't really open anymore which is uh kind of odd it is yeah you always see it late set uh close set closer or encore never never really an opener so that that would have been a pretty cool thing to see yeah um absolutely and this was also, um, I, I believe, the second tour of Rashawn Ross being a full guest. So, yes, obviously, this show starts off with a Ross bang, him and Roy going um, ham on the outro of Rapunzel. Rashawn is actually, at least on this tape, he is very dominant, uh, very, mm. very loud, um, and gets almost out of control. I think he just got too excited because smack (laughs) and opening the show. Um, And so, yeah, they went crazy and then went a little, you might die trying next, Mm. which was, it was not good. Still that song did not get good. I don't think honestly until Tim came to the band, but um, so we'll just 
Yeah, we'll just skip that. But I think the next song we really enjoy. Oh, we always love seeing Rhyme and Reason. This is their tour debut that summer. And, uh, you know, that's the staple for Joe Lawler these days. But no Lawler on this one. But that's fine. We still like it and enjoy seeing it at shows. Especially Would you say that this song is lawless? This song is lawless. And I remember <laughs> on the... That was terrible, by the way. And I remember watching on the screens uh, probably around this time when they had like the at the end of the song I'm trying to picture it it was like a, a spiral like black screen with like a white smoky spiral just like you were like going into the void I don't know that was oh into the void yeah unintentional uh, drop of some Boyd Tinsley oof that is there's a song out there uh, you can You've probably already heard it, everybody, but um, have fun. But this rhyme was very much fun. It had uh, Dave's voice was absurdly good. Um, And the song is obviously driven by his riff and his voice. If his voice isn't good, the song just normally just falls a little flat. And it is very strong. And stay tuned to the end of the episode where we may have a little treat for you from this rhyme and reason. But Nolan, time to move on. Next song was what? Hunger for the Great Light. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Maybe the best song that they've ever written. (laughs) I don't know. Off of your favorite album. So you must, if you had been at the show, gosh, I don't know what you would have (laughs) done. Yeah. (laughs) It is, um, we love Stefan, but this is not his best work, I guess. And I guess you can't really blame him for playing power chords on the guitar in a studio and then bats and being like that's a song and then the most cringeworthy lyrics of all time but anyways whatever Bruce and I actually wrote separate reviews of this show and looked at each other's notes and we both wrote the same exact thing for hunger quote unquote cringeworthy cringeworthy lyrics (sighs) the only plus to this one is it is energetic and it's over very quickly very short yeah exactly um kind of like other things in probably our lives um but uh number 27 follows up and that's another 2007 song or not another this is one of the 2007 era songs and we love that song and don't really understand why the band played it once or twice this year and hasn't played it again nolan what the hell i don't know beats me this the song uh just Seems like it can't ever catch a break, you know? It's a good song, solid lyrics. I think the horns sound great on it. And, you know, it gets relegated to the Little Red Bird disc, the bonus disc for Big Whiskey. Probably should have been on the album. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah it just gets played. It's very sparse. Yeah, these days for sure. I mean, they played it like 30 times that year, and then they were just like, ah, you know, we're kind of sick of it, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, as they do with a lot of songs yeah but sometimes they just don't stop playing those they only stop playing the good ones apparently it's kind of odd Mm -hmm. Um, and another good one is warehouse next but but not this version (laughs) but we have to throw a caveat out there it's um it's different um they have a guest for it uh mr toots hibbert from toots and the maytals um the opening band 
yeah, they opened for them. And Toots guested with them a couple times just that summer, um, which, you know, maybe they kind of got the hint. Um, I don't know, Nolan. It was just very clunky. I mean, he's... Okay, so everybody, he plays acoustic guitar and he adds some vocals to Warehouse. That's what he's used in this guest spot for. And, I mean, he starts off in the intro... And it is very weird. Yeah, I think clunky is the perfect word to describe this, and it does not get better throughout the song. (laughs) No, it doesn't. I mean, it sounded like in the intro that, you know, they were doing the stop time and Dave was getting after it, and Toots was probably like, ooh, that's kind of interesting, and just kind of tried to play with it, but he couldn't ever get the stop and the start, and it was just very weird. It doesn't match up at all. And later on in the song, um, I'm not sure exactly what they were going for here, but it's that part right before the salsa jam, right where, you know, sometimes, especially at SPAC, they get the Louie Louie going. And, um, but this was going to be Toot's big, big moment, his solo section for his uh, acoustic guitar. And he begins his solo kind of playing this riff. And I was like, oh, okay. And he keeps playing that riff. Um, didn't really get off of that riff. And then kind of seemed like he didn't know what else to do, so he started like a tribal chant kind of thing. <laughs> and Dave quickly interjects with Louie Louie in the background. Then the crowd takes over. And, and then Toots no. tries to like kind of do Louie Louie, but they are just clearly no one is on the same page at all. And yeah, it just very odd. Rashawn starts playing One Sweet World at the end. Like... you've heard of the train wreck rapunzel this is the train wreck warehouse yeah it's like a train wreck without it ever veering off the rails yes it was just like i'm not really sure what was going on uh right there it was it, it's bizarre. During the warehouse part, he starts, uh, Toot starts screaming warehouse because he doesn't know exactly what's going on. <sighs> and we're going to play some of this for you right now. And also, one more reminder, Roy, thank you. Thank you for saving the song here at the end. Um, you'll hear this part as well as he kind of is the saving grace and has a nice small solo. But, uh, Let's go ahead and listen to some of this on the rails train wreck warehouse.
Yikes. If your ears are bleeding, we apologize. <laughs> Stay with us, though. And uh, we've got some really nice, nice surprises yeah. coming your way the rest of this podcast. Better stuff. Yeah. And it starts with an 06 and an 07 song, Idea View, followed by Cornbread. And especially in this era of the band, I think these two songs were pretty nice. Oh, yeah. Especially. Um, well, actually, Idea View started changing. I think this was the year that um, was the first time we got the different drumming in the chorus from Carter. Um, yes. I always liked the original drumming a little better, but, you know, whatever. Oh, now he does the um, clocks drumming. Oh. oh, yeah, everyone. <laughs> Coldplay drumming. Um, no, it's still Carter. Uh, Coldplay cannot sniff Carter's left toe sock. Um, so I don't even want to entertain that idea anyways cornbread which um you've already heard some of is absurdly better in 2007 nolan you did a cut up earlier this year um in another episode of three different cornbreads yes i think um tell us a little bit about what you did there and um we didn't talk about it on that episode uh we're dumb and um tell us a little bit like about the origin, not the origin, but the uh, changing up of course. Yeah, that had to have been like week three, and we were still amateurs at this whole podcasting thing. But yeah, basically took it from the debut during a DMB concert. We all know it debuted Dave and Tim the spring of 2007, and uh, Dave playing it solo in the encore, and then the full band the next night. And I really, I love Tim. Tim is the man. But his solo on this song currently, nowadays, it's just way too long. This, the sound of the song has just gotten, I think, too big. And I think this song worked better as maybe a little quieter um, and a little more focused on what Dave is doing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's gotten too big, too loud. Um, the horns are too prevalent, uh, too much distorted Tim guitar, and then a very kind of odd solo where Dave does his dancing. I loved the old cornbreads and Carter had some great stuff in there. Um, it was, I, I just thought it was much better back then, but you know, whatever. Can't do much about that now. Let's leave that in the dust and move on because this next part is what inspired, well, that song lyric, cornbread lyric, inspired the title of the show. And this next part of the show is why you're hearing this this week. Um, and from my buddy B-Rad, yet again, he says, leading up to this show, it was public knowledge that Fish frontman Trey Anastasio was living in downtown Saratoga Springs due to some trouble with the law. So rumors were swirling on just the small hope that he would show up to guest. Well, the rumors were correct because... You can hear the spat crowd erupt right after Cornbread. Carter claps with his drumsticks for, I mean, it's like a standing ovation for um, 45 seconds, a minute. Nolan, oh, I mean, least. it's a long, yeah, it's absurd. And Dave, um, do you have anything to say about this? Okay, well, um, there we go. Nolan, Trey Anastasio, um, not his first stage appearance since his uh december 06 arrest mm -hmm. but 
um, one of the very first, and wow, what a treat for the SPAC crowd. Certainly the first time Trey had guested with DMB since that arrest, and first time uh, since the Dave and Friends era slash tour, um, and his being a part of that and being on the Some Devil album, Trey on Graves, this is this is an all-time performance. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, this day was three years to the day of the first night of the End of Fish, the uh, Coventry Festival, which was an absolute disaster in and of itself, if people don't know that story. That's an entire podcast. Um, but it was, it was awful. And um, three years to the day of the first night of that, it was, you know, him coming off of rehab. Um, his father had to drive him to and from SPAC. I mean, you know, grown man having to get a ride from his father because, you know, to a concert because of, uh, you know, drug issues and an arrest. He didn't have a license. Yeah, it was just an incredibly big moment. A lot of people, DMB fans and Fish fans, were incredibly excited and encouraged to see him out there. And, you know, it was great of Dave to bring his buddy out there. You know, I mean, that's a, what a great guy. He had this to say afterwards. I love Trey's playing, but that particular night was one of the most beautiful, eloquent times I've ever heard him play. He hadn't played for a while. He just came out that night and it was one of those really magical moments. Yeah. And we agree with that for sure. Absolutely. Um, and we're going to play some of it right here. Um, and then we'll talk about the solo a little bit. I think that this is, um, it's just so cool. And for me as a fish fan, like it's really, really cool. I know Nolan is eye rolling and probably holding back a vomit this entire episode, but that's okay. He loves me and this is what he does for good friends. And this show just happened to fall, um, on this week. So, um, Dave band, Trey, take it away.
I do like Trey, and obviously he is a guitar god. This is great stuff, and you can just feel, I don't know, the joy in his playing in this version is almost like an inspiring solo. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, the beginning is a little bit rocky. I think he was kind of searching for what he was wanting to do, Um, and in front of this raucous back crowd, and then he really gets into it. I mean, he lands and then takes it off, takes the song off into the sky, and they soar. Um, for Fish fans, it's kind of reminiscent of like a uh, Harry Hood or a Slave Peak. I mean, it is, it's really good. It's not Trey's best solo by any means, um, but and it's not even the best version of him on Lion Our Graves. Check out... Uh, 519 2001 by the way uh trey and boyd go crazy but um it's awesome and i hope you guys enjoyed that um because i'd love to see trey get back on stage with dmv um it's just it's different than what you know the way tim plays it's just a different style and um obviously as a fish fan i really really like it um nolan brad told us something else that uh (laughs) happens after this uh solo in part um, what the hell happened? The song reaches the 14-minute mark, and as DMB pauses right before the reprise, the crowd and DMB give Trey a huge ovation. Trey casually walks off stage, and DMB looks around as to say, uh, we didn't finish the song. <laughs> did he really just walk off stage? <laughs> yeah, he did. This becomes the origin of Lionar Graves' Sands reprise. Thanks, Trey. <laughs> I mean, his dad told him he had a curfew that night. I mean, oh. you know, he was ready. He had to go. Oh, gosh. Ooh. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, pretty but. funny. Pretty funny stuff. And Dave wasn't done um, with his uh, help of Trey or tribute to Trey because up next, uh, Dave does a little something else for his good buddy, and that's play Some Devil Mid-Set, which is mm. a perfect tune Um you know, as far as what the lyrics mean and what it stands for and everything for this situation. And, you know, Dave dedicates it to Trey. This is from my friend Trey Anastasia. This is actually probably my favorite moment from the show. And we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago, but this version of this song in particular is an all-time dmb live performance we want to see some devil songs played full band and this is actually the first time two some devil songs have been played um at a full dmb show and they just sound great on it to the point where i understand that dave loves playing it solo because his guitar riff is i mean it's i think an iconic guitar riff for dave throughout his career um the band just sounds so good, and Rashawn Ross adds so much to this song on the muted trumpet. What do you think, Bruce, Mr. Trumpet Man? Oh, I love it. This is, it's beautiful. Rashawn does a couple of muted trumpet things that y'all are going to hear tonight, but this one right here is special. This, when the full band kicks in a couple minutes in, I think the crowd responds. They're like, whoa, all right. And yep. then Rashawn plays this tasteful, beautiful solo. Um, I mean, it was there was probably a lot of emotion there, and it just it comes across very, very well. And we might as well just let you guys hear it. <laughs> 
And then Dave shouts out Mr. Trey Anastasio once again. It was very good to see Trey Anastasio, don't you think? If you're looking for a super high quality version uh, of this song, soundboard quality, you can find it on the 2007 Summer Tour Sampler Disc. Uh, Eight tracks on that CD and I think one of the better live bonus discs the band has put out. Oh yeah, a lot of good stuff on there. I think we've talked about that one before. Um, Yeah. I just revisited it the other day and I was like, oh yeah, okay, that was cool. We move on to The Maker and this set is having some nice flow and surprises here. And Bruce, I think you're once again impressed by Rashawn Ross on this one. <laughs> I am. Um, we're always impressed by Leroy, but Rashawn, yet again, a great solo. And I love The Maker. I wish they'd do it more. They've done it a couple of times this summer, only one time without a guest and one time with Amos Lee. They, you know, played it. They used to play it some without guests, and now they seem to only trot it out if they've got a, a vocalist or sometimes a saxophonist, I believe, and sometimes maybe a guitarist every now and then. But um, Bob Weir a few years yes. ago, and I got to shout out my favorite jam band, The Grateful Dead, since you got to talk about yours. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely shout them out. Um, and shout out to Dead and Company. I'm hoping that they announce their fall tour this week because I'm hoping Ooh. for a Florida date, but we Ooh. shall see. And um, oh, man, I still haven't seen Dead and Company. Really want to. Been listening to some Dead recently, and um, yeah. Anyways, back to the maker, Rashawn. You're great, and let's just. I mean, I'm 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 distracted now. I've I'll, I'm thinking about Dead and Company. Rashawn, take it away.
Oh, and the end there with the vocal harmonies. Mm, I love it. It just sounds so good. They have some good singers in that band. Dave's not the best singer in the band, and he still isn't. So just just hot take there. Um, wow. <laughs> Yikes. Buddy Strong's now the best singer, but I believe that Dave mm. was probably the best singer and the most versatile singer back then. Love you, Dave. Come on the podcast. Um, and something that... You know, I love Dave, and something that Dave loves was next, which is uh, Louisiana Bayou. I thought 07 was a good year for Bayou. I saw it open uh, one time that year, and this one kind of stood out at the beginning. You can hear Fonz very, very clearly early on doing some, like, slapping of the bass or just very, like, like aggressive bass, uh, bass slapping at the beginning, and that was cool to hear, um, but, you know, you can't really hear it anymore because, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on on stage. The wall of sound, yes. The horns really get into it. The horns kind of do something different on this version. Should we highlight that? Oh, yeah, let's check this out. Yeah, it's like the same riff, but played a little bit differently. And side note, I kind of wish this song was just called Bayou. I don't think it needs the Louisiana. Everyone knows it as Bayou. (laughs) And every time I just see Louisiana Bayou or hear it, or I hear the album version where they're like, Louisiana Bayou. (laughs) And it makes me want to pull my hair out. (laughs) But I'm not going to do that. Well, geez, dude, do you want to shorten everything? Should we just call it Graves? Should we just call it Hunger? I mean, that song shouldn't exist. Should we just call it Die Trying? I mean, what's going on here? Yeah, actually, yeah. All right, well, Mm -hmm. then, so shall it be written, so shall it be done. Not for Graves. I won't do that to Graves. I won't do that to a song that's on the big three. Okay, no big three songs then. Okay, so this is a proclamation. Um, We, the Corner of Gray Street podcast, is now going to shorten the actual names of songs. Um, mm-hmm. Almanac, we yeah. hope that you follow suit. Um, and yeah, we are putting our stamp of approval on this right now. Yeah. Th- and the other song that we should never change is Stolen Away on 55th and 3rd. That's not long enough. <laughs> uh, you know what else isn't long enough? <laughs> what? <laughs> Shotgun. <laughs> okay. I was wondering where you were going there. Still wondering, kind of. Mm, yeah. I need a 20 minute version of Shotgun. Wow. If they're going to do it with Seek Up, just do it to shotgun half kidding um but shotgun is next and finally that tiny red guitar is not idea of you because it was already played but it's shotgun and bruce you noted that roy does some some unique things on this version yeah um at the very beginning here you can hear him very very faintly so prick your ears up real quick as you're about to listen and hear it he has some penny whistle in the intro just playing in the background um as dave starts the song and butch is in the background as well with some nice piano fills and it is i mean i love that intro um i still think that the uh seville 2006 version which is on the warehouse disc uh one of the more recent warehouses yes it is is um is just epic but there's a this one's great and this intro is Beautiful. So let's listen to the intro really quick and see if you can hear the Roy Penny whistle. This photograph 
I mean, I really love that, obviously, as I wax on poetically about it. Um, I would, I mean, you're talking about extending the song. That's something that could be extended there. Like, they could have really done something there. Roy on a penny whistle for, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes. Some more Butch. Mm -hmm. it, it, like, the Seville 06 version, I always wish that the end would go on a little longer um, because Butch is adding some things. And I'm like, wow, this could sound great if they just kept going. Um, but alas, they do not. <sighs> oh, I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, but the rest of the song is great. Um, Nolan, why don't you just, just talk about shotgun? I mean, it's incredible. It is gosh. And I feel like it's, it gets kind of the same treatment as 27 except worse. Um, and I don't know, obviously meanings behind songs or like, help the people who wrote them at certain times in their life. And I know the song is about gun violence and some of the tragedy that has been in Dave's life. So I don't know, maybe it's hard for him to play now, yeah. um, especially in the current climate uh, of what's been going on. But I just want to hear the song. Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, you know, it always has this fantastic guitar riff by Dave. Dave does some good vocal delivery here uh, in this one. And I haven't always been a fan of Dave just screaming in Shotgun because after 2007, he almost just took out any other subtlety to his voice in the song and just screamed the whole time, and I'm not a fan of that. But yeah. this one, he brings to a nice peak here. And Nolan, you pointed it out to me that this was one of your favorite parts of the show, right? Yeah, and I like the, uh, the second verse here. Um, is very different, and Dave gets into it. Different lyrics. Um, it's always cool when Dave kind of changes that up. Mm -hmm. Probably on the spot for this one, it seemed like. But yeah, this sounds great, and I don't want to. I don't want to take a dig at Tim again, but I'm I'm going to because I like this song better without Tim. Yeah, um, it's just one that if he's going to be on it, maybe not mimicking Dave's uh, guitar licks and everything. I, I agree with that. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, they they don't play it enough to find a good groove for it. So, yeah, whatever. But since the band's not going to play it, we're going to play it. So here's some more of Shotgun.
Oh, yes. Gosh. One of the podcast favorites right there. And you know what? We need this on an album. And we don't need this on any album. We need this on the next album. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I'm really disappointed that um, that it hasn't been on one and that they didn't give it. I mean, this song, when it came out, we talked about how much studio potential it had and how much layering they could do and all this cool stuff. And... You know, after 2006, and then they came back in 2007, and what did they do? They butchered the mid-breakdown part where they just did something weird and made it offbeat and so mm. awkward, and they almost seemingly couldn't get it right because they didn't know the timing. And if they do put it on an album, don't do that. Do the normal mid-song breakdown, whatever you want to call that part of the song. And I mean, it's at the end as well, so I don't know what you'd call it, but... The horn parts. That part, ugh. I am, I'd never, I was always just baffled as to why they made that offbeat part because it just sounds so forced and weird. Yeah, and now it's like part of can't stop (laughs) and that doesn't make any sense but i don't know dave was remembering some old songs in this show um before we get to that though they play crush and obviously carter owns it uh boyd sounds great on this and then roy and rashawn trade solos Mm -hmm. um so pretty solid solid version of that one and then we get sweet up and down a song that we have been calling for on the podcast since we started doing the podcast. Yeah, and it may have been episode one. <laughs> yeah, probably was. It seemed like a shorter version um, of this one. Not as much build-up, mm-hmm. but but a solid version. Yeah, it is. Um, and it seemed like maybe not a very long um, Boyd solo. I think it's generally a little longer. But um, yeah. he does have a small solo. And then, again, like I said earlier, Dave's voice, absolutely on point tonight. Um, on this show and we're just going to let you hear the small Boyd solo and Dave going nuts at the end sweet up and down baby that song would get played again i think they could do some awesome stuff there um that's one i'm still chasing damn it 
<sighs> Anyways, um, the end of the show here is, you know, fairly standard. There's not a lot unique here, I don't think. No. Not a lot of uniqueness. But. This is a unique version of Anyone Seen the Bridge. They were kind of messing around with different ways to play this song uh, back in 2007. Absolutely. And it was always interesting watching them do it because I believe Dave would kind of turn and stare different ways and then turn his head and stare at the entire crowd. And then they jump right into Anyone Seen the Bridge. Yeah. And it was almost like a performance, like performance within a performance for Dave. I love that. And I also love um, some of the stuff Roy does a lot of times with his Barry sax. He was doing some a little bit more improv in the outro part of Anyone Seen the Bridge, which was kind of cool. Um, and yeah, the show closes with too much, obviously. And then Stay is the set closer. Um, like we said, nothing crazy. Pretty solid versions if y'all want to go back and revisit them. Um, but a pretty cool encore here. And um before Dave walks out to do a solo song, he has something to say to the SPAT crowd. I don't know if y'all feel like this, but every time we come up here, man, we have a great time. And thank y'all very much, so much for having us again and coming out and everything. Nice to see you and everything. Yeah, Dave obviously loves SPAC. I hope one day I can also love SPAC. And maybe next summer I'll go. Fingers crossed. Yes, you um, will love it. Yes. Another thing we love is the E1 Dave solo spot, and tonight it was Gravedigger. I know this song can take some criticism um, played with the full band, but this version, Dave solo, is very good. Yeah, I mean, we're both huge fans of uh, the Some Devil album and the song in general, but it just... It just sounds so much better, Dave Solo, to me. Um, mm-hmm. Just the style of the song, the message, just the kind of eeriness to Dave doing it solo and the emotion that can pour out of him. It just rings hollow, full band, in my opinion. And this, Which is interesting because the album version doesn't, but then yeah, full band live, it does. I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know either. Maybe it's because Trey is on the album version. That's probably it. <laughs> Trey. Rock on, brah. Uh. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> Gravedigger Dave Solo is just so much better. I, I, I like it even better than the Dave and Tim versions. I just like just Dave mm-hmm. and his guitar. Yep. It just sounds so good. Totally agree. It sounds so good. We're going to play it for you. Here you go. Oh, 
Yeah. Ooh, that sounded really nice. And, uh, you know, he doesn't really do that anymore at shows. And another thing the band no longer does is American Baby Intro. With good reason, because pretty <laughs> sure it was killing Dave's vocal cords. Um, yeah. But this song is beautiful. Uh, we've seen it a, a handful of times. I remember 06 Raleigh and 07 Charlotte. Um, wow. Blown away by this. Uh, the music's great. Boyd sounds awesome on it. Dave's wailing and screaming and the, I guess, vocal effect that's on his voice mm -hmm. is just it's beautiful oh yeah this version is pretty solid it's not my favorite one and i think honestly you know mm -hmm. shameless plugs for a show we were at i thought that the one that we saw a few weeks later on and um i believe charlotte was better mm -hmm. but this is a good version and it's just i always like the nice it has a small steady build and then this crescendo peak and then kind of fades back down and they may do some stuff in the outro this one kind of peters out a little bit there's uh, they didn't really find their footing here on the outro. Um, but there is some good stuff in here, and I think we should just go ahead and play a little bit. Yeah.
And there you go. A little bit of American Baby intro. And it fades right into All Along the Watchtower. It didn't have a nice segue, kind of like the Charlotte version did, but whatever. Um, Brad chimes in with, uh, obviously, the two-step chants must have been weak this year since they closed with Watchtower. Yeah, Brad, I guess so. Um, <laughs> tisk tisk back. Tisk tisk. Um, oh, one quick note about this Watchtower was the only Butch solo, I believe, of the entire night. Um, he has like this 80s sounding keys solo and then middle of the solo switches over to the organ, um, the organ sound. So it was kind of, it was kind of weird, but, uh, yeah, just very strange that that was like the only butch thing of the entire night. Um, and of course Dave's voice sounds unbelievable at the end of this song yet again. And he was just on fire the entire night and that, that wrapped up the show, um, Nolan, what were some of your takeaways from, you know, kind of revisiting this show? I don't know if this was the first time you had ever heard this show. Um, and, you know, presenting it to our listeners, what were some of your takeaways uh, after all was said and done? I think I heard this show um, soon after the tapes came out. Um, definitely remember the Trey uh, Lionar Graves version of that. And I think... I at one point had downloaded every version of Shotgun that exists, so I have a problem. Um, but yeah, some takeaways. Obviously cool that it's the first show where two Some Devil songs have been played. Love that. We've been highlighting Roy a lot lately on the podcast. Wasn't really uh, his night for this one. Obviously solid, but seemed like more of the Rashawn show tonight, and he was mm-hmm. just kind of in your face a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, just kind of... You know, Rashawn was still fairly new, and I think he was being kind of pushed to the forefront. Maybe Roy was giving him a little more um, confidence and everything. Um, I've talked about it the entire show. Dave was on fire. Um, and then I just said Butch mm-hmm. was, you know, kind of hidden and everything throughout the show. But it was just kind of, it was a cool show, kind of a strange show, um, I think. But 2007 was just strange and an odd year for the band in general. I think they're. You could do an entire podcast on some of the things going on internally with the band in 2007, but we won't do that. Um, that's not our we'll job. save it for the off season. Yeah, we'll save that for the off season. Um, but um, one thing that wasn't weird about this show or the year 2007 was how freaking good this tape sounds, Nolan. Ooh, this tape is incredible. Great quality taper, Isaac Micah. Thank you so much. Um, this was a joy to go back and listen to, and, um, man, the quality of these old tapes have all the ones that we have come across for the podcast for the older shows sound incredible. Yeah, they do. And it's awesome. It's cool to see even back in the day, just how lucky fans had, you know, they had it and we are still getting Mm -hmm. great tapes and, um, it's just, it's so awesome. Yeah, that wraps up our uh, our takes and highlights from the SPAC One Night Stand in 2007, August 14th. And we just have a few things, uh, miscellaneous items to talk about real quick, and then we'll wrap up. Um, Bruce, there are rumors that a different mix of the Away From The World album is kind of out there a little bit, maybe kind of... <laughs> um, Lily White's actual mix of the album. Ooh, Lily White. I mean, 
he shows his pretty face yet again. Um, he made some noise this week by posting on Twitter. He tweeted, So it seems like my original Away From The World mixes are being shared amongst the DMB community. I would recommend anyone to get a hold of a copy because I really think they are superior. Um, well, that's not exactly true. They're not circulating um, within the DMB community. I do know that some people have them. Um it is not the entire album, um, but there's stuff is out there, but not out there. So it is not really available. You can't really go search for it and you're going to find it or anything. Um, and, you know, I'll just say that there are some a couple of songs in there that um, are different. The mixes are not that much different. Um, there's some stuff in there that's different. I do know that there is, I'm sorry for continuously remembering things and cutting into my own um, lecture here, but my um, there's Drunken Soldier is a little bit more out there than any of the other tracks. And that has, I, th I think that's even on YouTube actually. So that's very much out there and it has a different lyric. I think it's like, um, don't let any fool tell you you're something you're not. Um, and then obviously that was changed. But there's a couple of other songs out there that have the original Lily White mixes. And I think they're a little bit more, they're a little cleaner. They're not as loud. Um, and there's some just subtle differences in there. Um, I don't think that it's anything to get overly crazy about, but something that's cool. And it's unfortunate that Lily White was not allowed to use his... Um, full expertise in the end on the finished product of away from the world. And I mean, Nolan, maybe that's why they don't like the album. I think there was just some animosity there, band producer, everything. I'm not, I'm not sure everything that's going on there, but geez. Yeah. Lily white again on Twitter, someone accused him of leaking it and he was not happy that nope. that was being thrown thrown around. Um, and follows it up with just I was just saying I was more proud of my mixes than the mixes that were released. I don't care about being relevant. I live in Indonesia and have no interest in my past. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is like Lily White off the top rope. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, as he should be um proud of his mixes. I mean that's what he was that's what he was hired to do. Um I would be standing up for my stuff too, and I don't blame him. Yeah. And Steve, can't wait to have you on the podcast. Um, even from Indonesia, <laughs> um, we'll have to work out some time zone differences here. But um, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. And speaking of talking to people, Nolan's been talking to some people. And stay mm -hmm. tuned, possibly for a special episode next week. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I think, uh, I think everyone will thoroughly enjoy this one. I know... You and I definitely will. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's hope everything um, falls in place and that that happens and that we'll have something special to bring you guys next week. But we've waxed on long enough. Nolan, shamelessly plug our social accounts and let's get everyone the hell out of here. Yeah, be sure to follow us on our social media channels at Gray Street Pod on Twitter and Instagram. The Corner of Gray Street Podcast um, is our Facebook page then be sure to download, subscribe to the podcast wherever you can find your podcast. Uh, we are now uh, about to pass 8,000 downloads. So that is 
way more than we thought it would be when we started this podcast and we could not be more appreciative for all the love um thank you guys so much absolutely and this is our this is episode 10 i uh, can't believe we've done 10 regular episodes and double then, digits yeah and then a couple of other you know bonus episodes in there too so we've technically yeah. already released 10 things um but this is episode 10 we're sticking with the numbers this is a nice round number thank you guys so much for sticking with us and let's get another 10 10k downloads let's get 10,000 let's go people come on let's do this <laughs> but again thank you guys for listening um and for all the support and everything nolan and i are both extremely appreciative um we love you guys and um we'll see you next week on the corner of gray street I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.